Hi, I'm Biz. I'm a working parent with a kid and a teen. It's been 10 years since the show began, and a lot has changed on the show and in the world. But by elevating the voices of others, we have learned we are not alone, and we are doing a good job. This is still a show about life after giving life. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, beep, beep, we're stuck once again at the intersection of feminism and body image. We talk to body trust provider Meg Bradbury. Plus, Biz is up late. Woo! This is a check-in. So I'll tell you, Biz, after the last few months, it was a bit of a tumultuous fall for us. We were trying to sell our house because we bought a house, and we ended up having to continue owning two houses and rent it out with uh, support from our parents, which didn't feel great to ask for, but here we are now living in our new house. Our Christmas tree is finally up. We finally exist in our home, and (laughs) it's just, it's good. It's a better house. It's a better space for our family, and we're there. It means that until the holidays, I'm driving my kid to school because we moved out of her school zone, and she doesn't switch schools until the new year, but, you know, a little bit of driving is worth not having all of the stress of of not knowing if we were going to move. Honestly, we didn't know until the day before we moved if we were going to be able to move, so... We're no longer living in the stress and anxiety of that, and we are just living again. And it feels really, really good. Thanks for the show, Biz. Thank you. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah, nothing unrelaxing about any of that. That is moving in general is stressful. I mean, that is like, that's a serious place to get stuck in where you haven't sold the first house to get the second house, and then you've got to somehow man. I mean, like, that is a lot. That's a lot. And I can tell you, I am really glad to hear that you guys are settled. There's a wonderful sense about feeling settled. And I see you because that took a lot of work to get there. A lot. You are doing a good job. Speaking of settled, I'm terribly unsettled. It is it is late at night. And uh, Gabe is about to, to really earn their money and all the raises and bonuses and gift cards and, I don't know, pet supplies. Whatever Gabe needs, Gabe gets. Because this is an insane show, and it's been an insane week, and it totally falls on me. Normally, we record on Fridays, and if we can't, we record on Mondays, and if it's really bad, maybe Tuesday. And here we are, Wednesday, and none of it's been done in order. And Gabe is going to make it sound like it's flawless. And it's chaos because Mama is dying. And, um, you know, it's happening faster than uh, I want it to. And for those of you who are in similar situations caring for your parents, you know, today was supposed to go one way with a series of appointments as well as my own personal physical. And then five minutes away from my kid's school after drop-off, I got the call that Ellis had thrown up. And so, like, the whole day was gone, right? Like, that was it. That was all done, right? 
it didn't mean that I still didn't have things I needed to do for my folks and calls to make and appointments to keep and things to juggle. And so I, ah, this show is going to be something special is what it's going to be. And actually it is because I'm going to have the lovely Meg Bradbury, who is such an amazing gift in terms of talking about bodies, the evil of diet culture, fucking up, making mistakes, being honest with kids and ourselves. And I'm so happy to be able to talk to her. And I just want to say, just right off the top, you are all doing an incredible job. And I know that each and every one of you out there listening has more on their plate than just their job, has more on their plate than just their kids, has more on their plates than whatever it is. And I see you and you're amazing. And I would like to confirm that I don't think anything can actually get done ever. So the show can finally end now. (laughs) All right, stick around, guys. We'll be right back with Meg. One Bad Mother is supported in part by Bombas. Close your eyes and imagine socks, underwear, and t-shirts that feel cozy like a fireplace and soft like a cloud. Don't mind if I do. Not only do I deserve cozy, soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts, but everyone does. And that is why for every comfy item you get, you purchase, Bombas donates another comfy item to someone experiencing homelessness. So go to bombas.com slash badmother and use code badmother for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash badmother and use code badmother at checkout. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast? Go fact yourself. No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. Yes, well, lucky for you, Go Fact Yourself is back to being a live audience show. Woohoo! Yeah, we've got a free recording coming up on January 15th in Los Angeles and February 11th in Pasadena. And if you can't make it there, all of our recordings will still be available as a podcast. Twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. Everybody, I am so excited to be welcoming Meg Bradbury, whose pronouns are they, them. Meg is in, I'm yelling it at you, everybody. Meg Meg is in private practice working with individuals, groups, and families, advocating for body diversity awareness, body liberation, eating disorder, disordered eating, I love that, body shame recovery. 
freedom with food, meaningful movement, and stillness breath work. They founded Elder Queer online gatherings for queer folks age 40 plus to connect and build community with conversation about aging in body, mind, relevance, culture, and relationships. There's more, by the way, everybody. Everybody just needs to buckle up. There's like, like pages of like Meg's background and qualifications, and I love it, but they're all the words that make it hard for me to say, because just FYI, everybody, it's, it's the evening. I don't normally record in the evening, so who knows how this is going to go. Welcome, Meg. <laughs> Thank you so much. It is fine to be here in an evening session that now seems like a party since you don't usually do it. I know. A cocktail might appear any minute from Stefan, which would be really miraculous, I think, if that happened. That would be so nice. Wouldn't and it? then he comes here to my yeah. house after he's done this. Yeah, a cocktail will appear in your house. Speaking of houses, Meg, who lives in your house? Well, that's a complicated question right now because I'm en route to moving from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon. And so currently, it's <laughs> just me and my dog. Um, my best. partner is already up there working and doing some work on our new house. And um, we will be reunited at some point in the next 10 days. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I have Meg here. I'm going to give you guys a little background on how I know Meg. Meg, prior to running away to Portland to be thoroughly happy, hopefully, <laughs> they were the health and wellness instructor among many things at my kid's school. And one of the things I loved about our school and why we picked it was that they make sexual health, body health, mental health, all of these different things, part of the curriculum. I mean, I walked into a classroom on a tour and they were talking about consent to fifth and sixth graders. And I was like, I'm in, I'm done. And Meg, really, I find myself very lucky that Meg was a teacher of Raiden's during all of the changes that Raiden has gone through, both in exploring who they are as a person, as well as just normal teen changes. And so that is how I got to know Meg, as well as reaching out to Meg and being like, what the fuck is a binder? Uh, I thought I got it at Staples. Uh, Raiden is asking for it. And I'm old. And is everything lost? And Meg very nicely convinced me nothing was lost. Uh, actually, a lot of stuff was gained. And I know I'm going on and on and on, and I am going to let Meg speak. But Meg has such a wealth of information, especially around body. And I Talk to us about how you got into the work that you do. And then I'm going to want to talk about like how that those things impact us as adults as well as kids and language mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Thank you for remembering the the all the history we have and the conversations we've had because the binder conversation seems like so long so ago. So long ago, I know. And it really wasn't all that yeah. long ago, but so much has happened in that time in COVID yeah. and, and all the things. So yeah, I feel like I've known Raiden through a lot and Raiden's <laughs> known me through a lot, Yeah, which is amazing too. What I do. Okay. So as uh, I'm gonna, as a child, and I was like, oh God, here we go. 
Along with my work as a teacher, which I recently retired from, I also work as a body trust provider, which is somebody who helps other people divest from shame and fear around body and food and dieting and expectation and cultural bullshit that surrounds all of us regarding how we look and how we behave in terms of aesthetics with our body and and all sorts of things like that. So I came to that work through my own recovery from a lifetime of eating disorder, which would come and go. And the most recent iteration was realized in my late 40s, early 50s, when I developed a eating disorder called orthorexia, which is a pathological obsession with eating pure and clean and healthy food, which is kind of a, a, a diet disguised as a virtue. Oh. Um, it's a very aspirational thing that um, we are told is a great thing to do. And for some people, it is not. But that's how I came to do the work is through that recovery process, through meeting a lot of people who were doing that kind of work. And also through my mentors at Center for Body Trust up in Portland, who run a certification program and founded the modality of Body Trust. And one of the reasons why I'm moving to Portland so I can further my work with them. They're going to be very lucky to have you. It's going to be so nice. Yeah. All right. So I like to be a person, and I, I don't just play one on the podcast, guys. I don't know a lot of stuff sometimes or words or new language or, or you know, like I grew up in a time where, and similarly, hey, I don't think anybody called them eating disorders when I was in high school right? Because it was the deep South and mothers gave their daughters diet pills, you know, Mm -hmm. and you started drinking Diet Coke at birth. Not that that science makes sense. And I am not exaggerating everybody. People might take out our ribs to fit in certain dresses for pageant circuits and things. I mean, like, no one was talking about it as an illness. No one was talking about it as an addiction. No one was talking. And I don't even know if those are the right words to describe it. And again, I think it falls into one of those categories. And I know it doesn't only affect women, but it feels like it falls into those categories that it's a woman's problem. It's a woman's mm-hmm. something. It don't talk about it. It's not real. <laughs> That's not a real thing. You can stop it if you want, right? Like all that garbage and mystery. Do you mind talking some about eating disorders? Correct me if I'm not using that right language. What is Mm -hmm. the language? What do we know now? Well, let's like, let's define diet culture is basically a system or set of systems that elevate certain bodies and demonize other bodies, elevate certain foods and demonize other foods, and pretty much set people into the idea that there is one right way for a body to look, and there is one right way to get there. And anything outside that system is wrong or bad. And I think that's that, that can be from being a, like a Barbie size shape to having lighter skin 
to having, like I do this exercise when I, when I work with fifth and sixth graders and we talk about, okay, what, what have you learned through social media or through, you know, books or TV or magazines or friends or the doctor or whatever. It's like, what are, what are you supposed to look like? What are people supposed to look like? And we, they just shout it out and we make these huge lists and it's like, who can be this person? And these are the messages that we're given as we grow up. We have kids as early as three and, and four talking about being fat and self-restricting food because they've heard that it's bad for you. And this can be from, again, a parent or um, somebody at school. Kids at school like to really talk about food. So all these messages that we get from diet culture, which is a 70 plus billion dollar a year industry, consumer capitalism, anti-feminist, a lot of white supremacy there, what kind of bodies are unruly. So there's all this history of why diet culture exists and how it morphs itself as a shapeshifter and who it affects and how. It's a very sinister because like health, like the idea of health, can get used and can be manipulated into, we've talked about it on the show and you have a baby and literally there are things advertised to you right away Mm -hmm. about getting your body back. Now, I'm not sure what that body was. I guess it was that body I had when I was chain smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and drinking <laughs> coffee and living in New York City. It was not a yes. healthy body. And then right. I had children. And, you know, if you don't know, like your organs get all shoved and moved. Around. I mean, like, I, I joke that, like, I have my body back, but nothing's where it was. That's Everything really true. is somewhere else. But that that's just like one example of this very casual culture that is in play, chipping away at any happiness or contentment you may feel with your body. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's, it's back from the past. Yeah. I don't know how that can actually happen. Yeah. In terms of like, well, you know, nine months has passed, so there's going to be change no matter what. Well, they always say nine months. There was like this big, you know, a big thing is nine months got you here and now you need nine months to get back. And I'm like, is there a kid in your house? (laughs) It's like, I couldn't even have a puppy in my house and expect to get anything, whatever it was I was supposed to be doing, done. I don't have the stamina to like commit to something like that because I'm tired, because I've got kids, because of all the things. And now that ties into the other thing that you focus on, which is the shame and the guilt. Yeah, because if you're, if you're say, we're using the example of a person who's given yeah. birth to a baby and sure. that person has gone through, like you said, nine months of not only hormonal and organ and yeah. everything, having a, a person who's had a child come out of my body and I get mm-hmm. it. It's like, so, so much shifting and it's intentional. Mm-hmm. A body gains weight when it's pregnant with yeah. a child because it must. Yeah. There's millions of reasons, hormonal reasons, physical reasons, 
emotional reasons and growth reasons for the body that's inside that body. Yeah. So, so many reasons. Sometimes we go to doctors and we're told we shouldn't gain too much weight while we're yeah. pregnant. Or sometimes we go out to lunch and we're shamed for how we eat when we're, you know, whatever, all the things. Yeah. So then you have a child and everything's changed and every, everything's hormonal and you have all this extra work and who knows if there's a partner and if there right. isn't a partner, that's tough. And if there is a partner, sometimes that's tougher. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but then you're, you're supposed to be doing all this work to not only lose the quote unquote baby weight, which is what helped you give birth to that person in the first place and gave that gift of life to both you and the birth child. But then you're supposed to not only lose weight, but somehow become fit and ripped and fit into clothes that you haven't fit into since you were 15. Yeah. And do it all within a certain amount of time. And if you don't do any of these things, not only are you lazy and yucky, but you're kind of like, what is that phrase? Letting yourself go. Letting That's yourself another, go. another phrase. Another phrase of complete yeah. garbage. Yeah. yeah. See, everybody should be super pissed about it. And yet I and everyone have at some point in time opened our mouths <laughs> and said things to ourselves, to friends, to strangers yeah. Yeah. that is that we've talked about on the show, the garbage mouth, you know, the like, you say something about a pregnant person's body, right? Or like, you tell a horrible story about childbirth <laughs> as they're on their way to the hospital. Or you ask somebody if they're pregnant mm-hmm. when they're not, right? Mm-hmm. Or fucking happy Mother's Day. We can talk about that all day long, right? Like we open our mouths and we think something nice is coming out because we've said it or people around us. It's cultural or- training. Yeah, cultural training, and you don't realize the impact that it's having until it's too late, or maybe you don't ever realize because we're all busy and it's hard to be so mindful all the time. So I would actually like to ask you about language right now, Mm -hmm. because not only in how we talk to each other, I mean, I... One example is when I started reading books to my children, when they were, when Raiden was born, I started getting children's books and I started, right, like I began to notice that the language had changed. Like I had probably been reading kids books to them for like a couple of years and then I found my old Richard Scary book all about town, right? Like I love Richard Scary, and it's got Fat Hilda in it, which is this mm-hmm. hippo and it just, it was just her name and I, it was at that moment that I realized I had not read the word mm-hmm. fat in mm-hmm. any book I had been reading so far to the kids. Yeah. And then it became like a shocking word, right? Yeah. Which is great. It's a weaponized word for yeah. sure. It is often the ultimate insult in children's world. Like yeah. so-and-so's fat. It's like you just don't say that. Yeah. Right? And people are fat. There have always been fat people in the world. This is a word I use and recognizing that I have thin privilege. And sometimes it's problematic for people who have thin privilege to use the word fat, specifically in front of people who identify as fat, because there could be some trauma around having a thin person use that word, right? Yeah. So it is kind of loaded as a reclamation point in fat liberation work, which is part of the work that I'm 
happy to be a part of. A lot of the people I work with and work for are a big part of that movement. But it's kind of taking back the word fat as an adjective and not as a weapon. It's almost as basic as saying, I'm short, Mm. uh, my eyes are blue, I have brown hair, I live in a fat body. You can also use other words like living a larger body, being in a higher weight body or a lower weight body. Some people don't like the word fat, but that's really because it's been co-opted as a hate word. Okay. I want to know more about that. This body liberation, the, I mean, you know, I think that's always tricky when people, when groups reclaim words, because I, again, like you said, language is so personal to so many people. So reclaiming the word is only one part of it. Yes. Because I am a person in the world and I watch television and I go to shops and I stores and there's this beautiful commercial right now in which a large woman is doing yoga. And I get, you know, like, like there are multiple ways it's trying to, I love it when people normalize things, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to women that we've been told not to normalize mm-hmm. over the years. So talk to me about other ways that people are normalizing it and ways that we can be mindful to to combat it. Yeah, I think that understanding, if we talk about the term body positivity, which is kind of, again, like so many other things, the term body positivity has been co-opted by diet culture. Mm. Because if you think about, like, if you close your eyes and you think about what body positivity calls up, conjures up in your head, what is it? The pretty skinny. <laughs> yeah, people like on come laughing eating yogurt, you know, yeah, and they're wearing in their big white hats. jeans. Yeah. <laughs> the big hat thing. And they, they read goop regularly and yeah. and you can body read positive. Goop? I love my I'm gonna I'm gonna pinch my yeah. roll and show you. And yeah. So <laughs> I, it it just is we can't achieve body positivity in our culture. Which is a nice idea, right? If you think about it, it's like, let's just be positive. Unless we're actually positive about all bodies. And Mm. that includes the very largest body. And until we can include people in all sorts of bodies in the conversation, then we will not have body equality. We will not have equality at all. Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of work around equity and diversity and inclusivity even in the most woke spaces, doesn't include fat folks because there's so much stigma. And so understanding that and knowing that that comes from a lifetime of hearing that because you can change your body and, you know, 95 plus percent of intentional weight loss fails, which is not the failure of the person, but a failure of the program or the plan. Yeah. And we can have a million years of conversation about that. (laughs) But if we can just understand that bodies are bodies, there's always been fat people, there will always be fat people. And then sort of exposing ourselves, like maybe searching out Instagram feeds that celebrate fat folks that show people living their lives being happy, eating dinner, having, well, not having sex on Instagram, but implying, you know, partnering with people, (laughs) having lives in fat bodies and not being ashamed or needing to change it or 
having some sort of guilt around it. So it's like you sort of search out those moments where you can expose yourself to bodies or people that you feel uncomfortable looking at. And then you sort of like start to bring that into normal thinking. All right. I want to, I want to wrap up on language we use around our kids. Raiden is in eighth grade and you know, all the bodies are very different because they are. And Mm -hmm. puberty is the worst. Ah, it's just Mm -hmm. a beautiful, nasty, messy mess. And like, I can see bodies changing within a year that are completely out of their control. Right. And it is very hard to control the language kids use with each other because kids developmentally are still always just trying shit out. But as parents, I have found myself not only saying something out loud to Stefan and Stefan being like, don't say that in front of Raiden, like about myself, like making a comment about myself. Help me and every person in the world, Meg, you're welcome, in (laughs) trying to be mindful of language. I mean, I know you can't be like, don't ever say this because, well, I mean, you could, but like, what are kids concerned about through your experience? And how can we support kids through our actions and language? And how can we respond to them when they ask us or bring us or say something that we feel needs to be addressed? I think you're definitely not alone when you notice that you're talking about your own body in front of kids in a way that might not necessarily be helpful for them or really you. Oh, it's definitely never helpful for me. Right. But But this is something that, you know, I'm going to be gendered here and say that, you know, women are really conditioned to mention how dissatisfied they are with their bodies to themselves and to one another. Sometimes there's this competitive body comparing thing, you know, like, oh my God, my eye bags. And then your friend is like, you think your eye bags are bad. You should see my knees. You think your knees are bad. You should see my, you know, my ass, you know, whatever. And that's how we bond as women because- Why do we do that? That's so stupid. it's like patriarchy. It's It's patriarchy. It is putting us, I'm going to pull up this quote, but I always mangle it. It's by Naomi Wolf. Hold on. Okay, here it is. (laughs) A culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty. It is an obsession about female obedience. Hmm. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. So if patriarchal culture pits us against each other. I know. Pits ourselves against sort of like how we look and and how can we get to how we want to look. Yeah. Then our agency is nil. And then we put that on other women. Yeah. We put that on other people. So talking about our own bodies is almost like, you know, that, that, that thing we do, like if we have a zit, we want to point it out to people before they point it out to us. So we're in control. So sometimes that talking to yourself in the mirror, like these fucking pants don't work, you know, or, or I don't like the way I looked at it. Sometimes that's, that's a way for us to control 
how horrible we feel about ourselves. You say it out loud and yeah. maybe you can fix it or then you get to make the plan of doing something different tomorrow. The nuts. So being just aware and curious and kind to yourself that you are saying words and thinking words that you have been taught to say and think because of diet culture and because of patriarchy and oppression, right? Yes. So yes. And, and to be pissed at yourself about that doesn't really go very far, but just clocking it and starting to clock it on a regular basis and listening to that inner critic and maybe learning how to respond to the inner critic. Okay. So that's the self piece of it. Right. And then we move to the kid piece of it who might overhear you. And even if you're not saying anything, your children will notice when you're not eating the same dinner or when you're upset about trying on clothes, whatever. And I think that can be a conversation if the child asks. It's like, you're, you're not eating the same thing. And, and you know, it's really a, a matter of, instead of shutting down the conversation, just being open to it and thinking, it's like, you know what? I do wonder why I'm not. I'm not feeling comfortable in my body, but I don't know what will help me fix that. You know, so so it's not like you're expecting your child to come up with the answers, but sort of being vulnerable and understanding like this body shit, this this way we're taught to think about ourselves is something that you want to work on. And I think that's a wonderful conversation to have with a child to know that they can be vulnerable, too, and that, you know, maybe my body doesn't feel right either. And I need to talk about it with somebody. All right, Meg, thank you. Everybody, we're going to link you up to where you can find out all about the lovely work that Meg does. Meg is going to provide us with some wonderful reading lists. And we'll make sure everybody can access that. And we're clearly going to have Meg back to talk about more. Uh, And if there's anything specifically you want us to explore with Meg, we will. Just let us know. Thank you, Meg. Thank you so much, Biz. It's uh, always a pleasure. Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Lara House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. We can't change this big, dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! Hey, you know what it's time for? This week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time, everyone. Genius me, me. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I saw what you did. Oh, my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh, my God. That's fucking genius.
Okay, I will. Okay, it's a weird genius. Guys, I don't know how, as I've spoken on the show, very much in the sandwich, the thick of the sandwich right now. So sometimes my geniuses will not necessarily be about my parenting wins, but about my daughtering (laughs) wins for my parents. And as you know, mama is dying and she's still in good shape, relatively speaking, right now. And my sister's coming out again and we are going to all go to the beach. We're going to go to the beach for two days. And I'm really, I mean, we're going to miss school. We're going to do all the things we're, we're doing it. And we're going to get like a little wheelchair rental in case mama needs it. I want to put some flames on the side, some like streamers and a bell maybe. But we're just going to go. We wound up finding a place like literally on the beach, which is harder than you would think in California, so that she could sit and look out the window of her hotel room at the ocean directly. And the rest of us can go walk around on the ocean if we want. Anyway, I just, you know, I don't know. We're trying to make it all work while we can work. And I, you know, I don't know if it's a mistake or if it's a great idea, but we'll find out. And I'm just happy to spend any and all time that I can with her. Hi, Biz. This is a rare and very simple genius, which is that everybody is in bed. The children are nestled all snug in their beds. I've got a two, I think, month old and a 20 month old. And that's two of them, kids under two. And I've been solo parenting the last few days while my partner's at work for 14 hours each day from 5 a.m. to like 10 p.m., which is wake ups are alone and bedtimes are alone. And the genius is they're both in bed and they're sleeping and somehow nobody screamed. Everything timed out. And um, yeah, both babies are in bed. I've got my split screen baby monitor. I'm going to drink a beer and do some yoga. Those things should even each other out. Hope you're well. You're doing an amazing job. Oh my gosh. You are doing an amazing job. This is, this is, while a classic genius, I think it is also a hallmark of miracles. <laughs> okay? Like, that is a two, when anybody says two under two, because Stefan sometimes hears the geniuses as I'm listening to calls, you know, on the couch. And Stefan will walk through the room and he'll hear one and he'll say, when he heard that, he gave it the oh face. He gave it the whoa, like, <laughs> the like, like, it's the like, what can we do for you face, right? So one, you're doing a good job every day, knowing that that's happening in your house. Two, having your partner, that is a long day for your partner too, that stinks. And then for you, the wake up, I mean, I know that when you are co-parenting, when two people are parenting together, there is sometimes the ability to have the like, I do mornings, you do nights, right? So you know you have at least a little respite from what can be 
two extremely insane moments of your day, especially for two under two. Good God. So I just, I just want you to know, one, I see you. I, we all see you, okay, and what you're doing, which is amazing. And two, the fact that they are both in bed is such a reason to celebrate. And it sounds like you are doing two things that will make you very happy, which is also a genius. Good job. Good job. Failures. Fail, 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 fail. You suck. Okay. Raiden and I, on Thursday nights, go out to our shitty garage and watch. <laughs> I mean, it is a death trap. I am pretty sure something has recently died in it. Anywho, so <laughs> we're out there watching Stranger Things because Raiden never saw it. So I'm getting him through. Oh, so much Steve action. I love the Steve. Anyway, we're about halfway through. We're almost through season three. And we came back inside to get something to eat. And, you know, long story short, I pulled down the little bin that's up high that has like just candy, weird assortment of things that have come into the house and been forgotten about usually. And there was this like tin of gummy bears that Stefan had brought home well over a month ago, okay, from a trip, like well over a month, month and a half ago. And they were for Ellis. And I think Ellis had had like a few. And I'm pretty sure he'd forgotten about it because they have not been mentioned. And I feel like now that I am well into nine years of knowing Ellis, that I can say with confidence, if they have not mentioned a food item over a certain period of time, they have completely forgotten that it's there. So I say to Raiden, do you want the gummy bears? And Raiden, smart child that they are, said, these are Ellis's. I said, yeah, but he's totally forgotten about them. They were like, okay. And so we took them out and Raiden ate them all. And then they were like, I don't, I'm scared to take the container in because I don't want Ellis to see it or see it in the trash. Right. And then like, remember. And I said, okay, we'll hide them in this empty bag of potato chips that I had just eaten. And then we take it in, throw it away. And I'm ready to walk away from this, everybody. Stefan, that morning, the next morning at like six, before Ellis is up, comes, wakes me up. He says, who ate Ellis's gummy bears? And it was like such a serious tone from Stefan. And I was like, uh, Raiden, I, but I gave them to Raiden. Those were Ellis's. I'm like, yeah, it's been like, um, what is happening? It's been like over a month. I'm like, they totally forgotten that they exist. He goes, we just had some like two nights ago. And he was like, these are the greatest things I've eaten. And I'm like, well, fuck me. I said, let's just don't mention it again. And while Ellis has not, has probably already forgotten them again, because he has not mentioned them again, I found the empty container up in the top of the cabinet. Stefan had pulled it out just in case I refilled them. Either way, I, like, I am experiencing more of the fail and shame from Stefan than I am from Ellis, and I'm not, like, sure how to reconcile that. I don't, I don't know, but I did it. It was me. Anyhow, there you go. <laughs> Hi, Biz. 
This is a fail. So my baby brother, who's not such a baby, just had his first baby. And he's all excited, of course. We're all so thrilled. And baby's a few months old now, doing great. And he called me. My brother called me and said, I have a really important question for you. And I said, yes. And he said, I just found the parking pass from when I was in the hospital with my wife having the baby. And I would really like it to be laminated. Do you have a laminator? And I said, sure. I mean, I have one at school. I'm a teacher. I said, I'd be, I'd be happy to laminate it for you. He said, that'd be great. I said, you can just, you know, next time you're popping around the house, you can leave it on the counter. He said, no, 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 no. This is too special. I can't leave it on the counter. Um, I want to hand it to you. So he drove to my school and he handed me this little parking pass from the garage at the hospital with his baby's birth date on it. And I, um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll laminate it today. I'll get it back to you. That'd be great. And he left. And I went to go laminate it, and I put it in the laminator, and I'm so happy to be able to do this for him. And it comes out of the laminator completely black. There was no more writing. There was no more baby birth date. There was nothing. And it occurred to me only after I saw that that it must have been thermal activated paper that they use on these parking passes to print the date. And I just ruined it with the laminating heat machine. And I know it's not my fault, but he almost cried when I told him, and I'm going to cry. So, yeah, that was a fail. You're all doing a great job, and I'm ruining my brother's memories. Wonderful. Thanks for the show. Bye. Okay. I love you so much, and I am... I am really actually very, actually, I am very sorry that this happened. I'm with you through the entire experience. And there is, this is one of those like fails that walks the fine line of sharing and having unhelpful things said back to you across the board. So I say this to all of us as a warning that this sort of fail does not need us to really say anything about thermal paper, about parking receipts, about people's choices to commemorate births in any way. There's nothing that needs to be said other than, I see you and I am so sorry and that sucks and it's it's not your fault and and it's not... It's it, it's definitely not your fail in the classic sense of failing, but I know how this feel, feels like it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I am really sorry. And you really are doing a good job. And, and so is your brother. Oh. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. I love you, I love you. All right, everybody. It is time to listen to a mom have a breakdown. This is a breakdown. I gave away my daughter's Barbies. And by I gave them away, I mean, we were cleaning, doing our annual Christmas cleaning, and 
she said she didn't want to play with them anymore, and we asked her a bazillion times, and she still said she didn't need them. So I gave them away. But now she's freaking out because she doesn't know where her Barbies are. She doesn't seem to understand that they're not coming back. She's five. I should have known better. But there's so much crap. <sighs> and I, nobody seems to understand, like, why did you give those away? You're the mom. I get it. But I did it. It's done. Nobody else gets it. But I know you guys will. So that's my breakdown. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, one, you are doing, you are doing a really good job. And what the fuck? You're the mom. What is that even supposed to mean that somebody says to you, right? Or is some narrative that's in your head, you're the mom, you should know. Oh my God, I just gave away my youngest's jelly beans to the oldest and like, tried to hide it like a crime, okay? So, you know, and I'm the mom. I should know. What I think I know is how to hide things from my children, to lie to my children. All right. Every circumstance that led to this is is logical in your decision process, okay? Our houses, our apartments, our homes, whatever they may be, get filled up fast with stuff. It doesn't matter how many boundaries we set. It is a lot of stuff, especially around holidays. People get gifts. You want to give things. Relatives give. Friends give. Suddenly, like, neighbors are giving stuff. And you're like, are we supposed to even be doing neighbor gifts? I didn't even know that was a thing. And, like, the house gets filled up. And that doesn't count the birthdays, the other holidays, the other random reasons to get shit. Okay. And then it's full. And I got to tell you, as I remember when we said goodbye to the ponies, all the My Little Ponies that we had gathered during Raiden's like love affair and mine, mine too, with My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And even I, I'm still sad that they are like, I have these moments sometimes where I'm like, oh, I wish we had some ponies and they're gone. They're gone. They are not coming back. And you're right. Five years old, that's a hard age to understand it. And the like, the sadness and, and I'm going to say like anger and Ah, what the fuckness of it, of like having to sit with that choice that you made, which by the way, was the right choice for you and at the time, okay? Like you can't go back and be like, oh, I shouldn't have. What? They're Barbies, they're gone. Yes, your child is very upset. Yes, you are very upset. Both upsetnesses are warranted, okay? And it's okay to sit in those for a little bit. And I am sorry that you or any of us have to go through these weird emotional up and downs and like, you just want to beat yourself up with stuff that like at any other time in your life would not be triggering this for you. 
Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, kids get in your house and everything just gets so, what the fuck is happening to me? They're just dolls, right? Like, so I, you know, and I know there are other parents out there and friends who are like, oh, I can't believe, right? Like, but it's not helpful. That's not helpful. I am sorry that you're feeling this way. I see you and all the effort you put in to making this decision. And I see you in having to like figure out how to get past this. And I just want you to know that we do get it. And you're doing a really good job. Everybody, you are all doing a really good job. And I, you know, like, I don't take it for granted when you call the hotline and you say that sometimes you just call to hear that you're doing a good job. And I don't say it willy-nilly. It is important that we all hear it And I know that for myself and my own journey over the years doing this show, that when we started saying it at the beginning, I didn't believe it for myself. And I do now because I have been saying it over and over and over and over. And I want to say it to you over and over and over so that you will also begin to believe it. And it's just one of the many things that we need to change in how we talk to ourselves and to others. And it's just about, like we learned from Meg, becoming aware of it, setting the intention to be aware. That's all. Because when you're aware of it, you can catch yourself, you can stop, you can backtrack, you can look at it, you can study it, you can apologize, not only to others, but to yourself. It's not just stop feeling like shit for being a parent. Stop feeling like shit for being who you are, because you are all beautiful and wonderful and powerful and amazing. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that's right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blue. Oh, said daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blue. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.